This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. This is the first time I've been involved in, the, in breaking up spring practice with the week. I wondered what all that would be like. I thought for the most part it was pretty good, not perfect, but I don't know that it would be perfect anyway. We're not quite to the perfect stage. It's been difficult at times, but being able to just sit back and watch film every day and look at each and every mistake that we make and uh, you know all the things that we improved on, uh, it helps us. Just not me in particular, just uh, this whole uh, quarterback squad just being able to improve each and every week. You know, with Tommy not practicing, A.J. got a lot of turns, and I thought he made some nice plays. I thought Zach Darlington made some nice plays. I was impressed with him. And then the rest of the guys all had their moments, too. You know, those guys in particular, I think, you know, they stood out a little bit during that time. I just think there's a, a comfort level that's, that's clear, you know, to some of these guys that's coming around. So we're, we're starting to get, uh, you know, just it's looking more and more like football. And here we are now back for the fourth edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. Dan Hoppin is unfortunately not with us today, guys. He's getting his taxes done, so hopefully Dan uh, comes out of that tax meeting all right today. But it's starting to look like football. That's kind of the the go-to phrase for the staff as they talk about the offense and, and the development of where things are at with these quarterbacks in other positions, but you know, you, you kind of saw it maybe coming together before spring break. Uh, they've had a couple of practices now after spring break, and you know, slowly but surely, it is coming together. And uh, Tommy Armstrong returned to practice this week. He missed the last few with that back injury, uh, but still a long ways to go. But you, you're seeing the quarterbacks. I know on Wednesday, I noticed the quarterbacks definitely looked a lot more comfortable uh, with what they were doing, Robin. Yeah, and that's exactly what the coaching staff was hoping for. You know, the the whole idea of taking that step back during spring break where, you know, not only could guys recover physically, you know, guys like Tommy Armstrong and, you know, some of the wide receivers and uh, guys like that, but uh, to be able to just kind of process everything that they had just kind of tried to cram in during the first two weeks of spring ball, uh, I think really showed just with their overall execution and, and comfort level, as Danny Langsdorf talked about uh, the other day after practice, he said the guys are really starting to show a little bit more um, just, just overall comfort with the offense. And that goes from everything, not only with execution, but, you know, quarterbacks getting guys lined up right and calling out the plays with confidence at the line and uh, that goes a long way just with you know like you said making uh you know learning a new offense start to look like football yeah and the big thing too is uh the overall retention level you know that's always the probably one of the main concerns you know when you take a break uh in the middle of learning something is how much will you retain when you come back and you know uh jordan westerkamp said that you know he he had to talk with all the guys uh you know making sure that they stayed in their playbook and just didn't you know go on spring break and then completely forget about football for a week you know it's it's always nice to kind of get away and get healthy and everything but you still had to get stay in your playbook and and retain things and uh, uh for the you know by and large it sounds like uh that's what happened over the break so it was a good sign to see yeah it was interesting too when they're talking about quarterbacks they brought up zach darlington even as a guy that's emerged and uh you haven't heard a lot about johnny stanton this spring or really Riker fife that's obviously been a lot of tommy armstrong a lot of aj bush um but you know zach darlington that was kind of a surprise to, to hear him as a guy but you know we knew when he was a recruit that he had potential before the concussions. And it's good to see Zach fighting back. And, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be the backup or the starter or whatever this year, but um, it looks like he's definitely gotten better. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. And I think that just kind of comes along with his growth and you know, adjusting to the college level. I mean, uh, like you mentioned, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of where his career pans out, you know, given that, that those medical issues that he has. Uh, but if nothing else, you know, that he's at providing some more competition in that quarterback room, which, uh, you know, the coaching staff will be the first to tell you is probably one of the most important things you can have. Yeah, there's no doubt that he's he's come a long way just from when he you know enrolled early at this time last year and then uh, to where he's at right now. I mean, it's night and day difference, but uh, he still has a, a ways to go. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking offensive storylines here as we sit in week three of spring football. Uh, a little bit over a week from now, we'll have the red-white game at Memorial Stadium. And I think one of the positions where something really hasn't no one's really emerged is running back but we got a little tip yesterday on Wednesday at practice that uh, Terrell Newby is a guy that could be having a good spring um, you know if they had a game today he might be the number one uh, running back you know they, they've talked a lot about Adam Taylor and Mikhail Wilbon you know about Amani Cross another surprise name is Graham Nabity. they mentioned him as somebody uh, that's had a solid spring and he gets kind of left out of the shuffle because he's a walk-on and you know in the previous staff a lot of the walk-on running backs didn't get a lot of reps uh, but you're seeing guys like Nabity, even Michael Rose, excuse me, Austin Rose, uh, get, get uh, more reps at running back. But uh, talk more about Newby and, and what you guys have seen uh, from him here, Nate. Well, you know, first and foremost, he, he's a guy that has a skill set to do a lot of the things that, that uh, you know, Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf like to do, um, especially in terms of, you know, getting out in the open field, um, you know, and, and being a guy that, that could you could utilize, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield or using on the fly sweeps and things like that. So uh, he has that speed and that open field ability that you like. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, he's going to carve out a niche for himself in this offense. But, um, you know, from what we'd been able to see, I, I, I was kind of surprised to hear that maybe he was a guy that had completely, you know, maybe separated himself a little bit uh, because, you know, I, at least in my own opinion, I don't know that I've necessarily have seen that myself. But, uh, of course, I'm not at every practice, so uh, it's hard to tell. But, uh, and, you know, part of me almost wonders if maybe Reggie Davis isn't using it as a little bit of a motivational factor for some of those younger guys, too, to, to say, okay, wow, now i got to step my game up. If, if newbie's separating himself and is getting a little – little love from coach maybe I got to do a little bit more and maybe I'm wrong here but you have to think that this staff was very aware of Terrell Newby in high school being the California player of the year in Los Angeles and we know Mike Riley ran satellite camps in Los Angeles recruited Los Angeles very uh, hard when he was at Oregon State so you have to think they had a, a common knowledge of Newby and maybe what potential he had yeah, there's no doubt. They they absolutely knew about Terrell Newby. Um, you know, he was one of the top running backs in the state of California. And, and you know, of course, California was a, a state that they recruited very heavily. So they knew about Newby and what his, you know, what his skill set is, what his ability is. Here's another thing, too. I mean, no matter who ends up getting that number one label, I think that it's pretty obvious that a lot of guys are going to play at that running back position depending on certain situations. You know, I think Amani Cross is still going to be a guy that uh, – uh, you know, works into that that short yardage. You know, whether it's at, at a true eye uh, back position or even at a fullback. Uh, you know, I think Adam Taylor is a guy that could be really involved in the screen game as well. I mean, that's something that Danny Langsdorf mentioned has he's been doing really well. And you know, we've seen a lot of guys like Graham Nabity and Jordan Nelson and uh, go down the Mikhail Wilbon, of course. I think there were a lot of people that were caught off guard uh, the other day when Langsdorf didn't mention Mikhail Wilbon. But uh, I think anybody that's watched practice knows that he's played uh, very well over the first two and a half weeks. Let's move it over now to, to wide receivers and, and what we've seen. Uh, 
it was good to get guys like Jordan Westerkamp and Demorne Pearsonell back um, here from spring break. Um, you know, they healthy. They had those na- nagging injuries. They practice at the final tail end of it, but uh, they're out there. And it looks like right now your starting three would be uh, Pearsonell, Brandon Riley. And then obviously um, Demorne Pearsonell, and I thought it was interesting. Yesterday, I was talking to Bruce Reed at Wednesday's practice, and he made the comment uh, about Demorne that they only plan to use him on punt return. They don't want to use him on kick return because he's a, a player that they expect to get the ball thrown to well over a hundred times, and that kind of caught. I mean, you know, you, you expected that with this offense, but to hear it. Um, let you know how big these three receivers and other players are going to emerge as well, but how big some of these players are going to be in the offense. Yeah, DeMorne Pearson, I don't think anybody's surprised to hear that he's going to be a huge part. Uh, but when you factor in how many times he's not only going to get thrown to, but how many times he's going to run the ball and how many times he's going to return punts, uh, he's going to have the ball in his hands as much as you know maybe maybe second only to the quarterbacks. Uh, he's a guy that's going to be a huge part of this offense, which makes a guy like uh, Glenn Irons, especially important because he's basically DeMornay Pearsonell part two and that's kind of what they're grooming him to be is uh, you know a guy that can do all the same things DeMornay can and uh, in case you know uh, heaven forbid there's any sort of injury situation that you you have someone that can step in and uh, kind of pick up where DeMornay would leave off. I think that you bring up a good point there uh, in, in Glenn Irons being kind of a uh, you know, DeMornay part two, because uh, he's been working out a, an awful lot at, at uh, you know, being a punt returner. And then, of course, you know, we've been seeing that Keith Williams has taken a, an, a seems to be investing an awful lot of time to, to get Glenn Irons up to speed and, um, you know, and, and really, you know, mold him into that Pearson L type of player, too. Yeah, it will be interesting to see, um, you know, Alonzo Moore is another player that that's had some ups and downs. Uh, we watched it on Wednesday. Here's a here's a player that drops two wide open passes downfield that were touchdowns, perfectly thrown balls uh, by quarterbacks like Riker Fife. Uh, but then he comes back and A.J. Bush hits him on an underneath crossing route. He takes it 80, 80 yards, outruns Leroy Alexander, who had the angle on the play. Um, you could tell that Alonzo was upset, and he's somebody you know they're counting on. They hope he can give them something uh, because they need more than just those first three receivers we've mentioned. Well, he's maybe one of the more frustrating players in that receiver room just because you see the obvious talent he has when the ball is in his hands but the problem is uh, just getting him to secure those passes uh, we've seen far too many drops from him Michigan uh, State yeah <laughs> and it, it literally cost him a game a game that could have potentially swung the season so, oh, that was not an easy catch no no doubt no but but you, you see him miss easy catches this spring and I mean things that have hit him right in the hands and he just drops it so uh, that's going to be the really determining factor I think for him and what his uh, role is in this offense because uh, you can be, have all the talent in the world but if you can't catch the ball uh, there's really not going to be a spot for you yeah I mean there's a there's a lot of a lot of guys in that wide receiver room and if uh, if you can't prove that you're a consistent uh, player uh, the chances of you getting on that field are, are going to be limited. Even if you do have, you know, great speed and game-breaking ability, uh, you've got to go out there and show that you can catch a ball at, at any given point in time and uh, prove it to Coach Williams. It is wide open after those first three we mentioned. I mean, Tariq Allen has had a, a quiet spring. Kevin Gladney has been pretty quiet. Jariah Tolbert hasn't done much since that first week that we've been able to tell. We mentioned Glenn Irons. I think he would be, if I were to peg them, 
I would have him maybe number four right now. Um, after those first three, Lane Hovey would be up there for me as well. Um, I think Lane Hovey, Bruce Reed even mentioned to me yesterday that Lane Hovey is somebody that's going to play a lot on special teams, and they've been impressed with what he brings. But some of those scholarship guys um, are, are falling back behind. So you, you wonder, I don't want to say they're falling behind, but they've been quiet from what we've been able to watch um, you know, here in spring ball. Yeah, I'll add on to Lane Hovey. I mean, he's he's a player that you you just wait for you know him to eventually drop off, but uh, he's going to make it very difficult for this coaching staff not to play him in some capacity. The guy is a freak athlete. I I was told by you know someone at practice the other day that uh, you know there there's been times when he's at the rec center playing basketball and he'll stand directly under the hoop and just do a straight up vertical jump, two hand dunk, and do it with authority. I mean, that's the kind of athleticism he has. Long arms. Yeah, and I mean he's he's built to exactly what Nebraska is looking for and that you know that that bigger wide receiver role so uh, if he keeps playing the way he has in practice I would not be surprised at all if he's the next walk-on wide receiver to have a big impact in this offense and speaking of wide receivers Robin there is a special NFL guest at practice this week yeah, uh, James Jones, the uh, longtime Green Bay Packer, now Oakland Raider wide receiver, was uh, in the house. Uh, he's been working out with Keith Williams, uh, who was uh, his position coach at San Jose State back when he was in college. And he said he's been doing workouts with Coach Williams every day since, or every year since his freshman uh, season at San Jose. And uh, you know, he said that uh, every time he works with him, he learns something new. And for a guy that has that much football experience at the highest level, to say that. Uh, about Keith Williams it just kind of says everything you need to know about the type of coach Nebraska has he raved about him uh, just to talking about his his knowledge and uh, more importantly the way he's able to teach in a manner that players can really respond to well and the the thing about Keith Williams is that he's a technician and um, you know talking with him at practice the other day you know he said that uh, you know it's just like when you watch a professional golfer and you're watching him on TV and all of a sudden you see a guy looking for his ball in the bushes you know he, he's a professional golfer but he still will, will hit the ball you know out of bounds and that's just like the wide receivers you know you constantly have to work on your craft and, and that's what James Jones is doing and he said you know during their workout the other day uh, he even he, you know being a 10-year NFL vet he was still making mistakes and there's going to be more guys to come back and work out with uh, with Keith Williams too and and I think that uh, it's good to for these for the current players to kind of see that and maybe have an opportunity to pick the brains of these pros and figure out you know what it takes to be successful so uh, pretty pretty neat little uh, scenario that's taking place we come back here on the huskeronline.com podcast we'll shift the focus over as we talk defense you're listening to huskeronline.com your authority on Nebraska athletics the guy that, uh, you know, I call him the freedom fighter. Oh, freedom, I tell you what now. I mean, you know, for a guy that hasn't played there before, at least as he's been here at Nebraska, he's, the, he's done some really good things on the outside. But, you know, freedom's one that kind of, because we didn't expect anything out of him. You know, who is this guy? Well, we, I want to play. And I've been around long enough, 30 some odd years, that usually when that happens, you get that crossover. It's like, ah, why don't you just stay over there? There's a lot of veterans, but, but there's a lot of young guys that have talented this team now, too, in the secondary. Do you, do you feel like you've got the ability in these young guys to, to win these jobs over veteran guys right now? I feel that we, um, us young guys, like, you know, like Kalu and Trey, you know, I feel that us, we can, we can, we can do it. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that we can do it. Yeah, the veteran guys are good. You know, Daniel Davey, J. Rose, you know, Charles, yeah, they're good, and we're good too. I mean, we can't just count us out. As, as far as young guys, you know, 
they're, they're, they're fighting and scrapping because, you know, they haven't played in the game and, and this is their opportunity, so they're trying to they're trying to get out there. And we're back here talking defense now on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett. You heard some of the young secondary talk there uh, from uh, secondary coach Brian Stewart. That was Chris Jones, a, a sophomore cornerback who has been seeing a lot of time um, with the top defenses here this spring and, and really I think has been one of the more impressive younger players. Uh, well, yeah, let's start with the secondary. I, I think that is when you look at position. Positions, guys, uh, that is one of the more interesting ones because you have a mix of veterans like Daniel Davey, Jonathan Rose, Charles Jackson, Nathan Gary, Leroy Alexander. Then you have a group of younger players like Chris Jones and Trey Mosley and Josh Kalu, uh, to name a few. Kyron Williams, another one in that group. Um, so you've got about four or five vets and four or five young players, and they're all fighting right now. Yeah, it's interesting because that, that first unit we all know is going to be pretty pretty solid uh, just with the starting experience they have coming back. But there was a time we, on Wednesday we finally got a chance to you know, get a good look at the white team because they swapped fields. And so we had, you know, kind of to be right on the sideline for the, the white team practice. And, uh, you know, that's supposed to be the quote unquote, uh, you know, second team. But uh, looking at that secondary, I was like, man. That's a pretty good second team because they had some athletes out there uh, and some potential starters as well. I think, you know, people are assuming that some of these veterans have these jobs locked up, and that is certainly not the case because there's some serious talent uh, with those underclassmen in that secondary that are really going to make a push. Yeah, the red-white thing can be deceiving. I think it was just a starting block based on last year. It has nothing to do with the yeah. now. And we're seeing on that white squad, A.J. Bush has looked better on offense than the other quarterbacks on the red squad. So I, I don't think you can read too much into that, as you mentioned, with these defensive backs. No, I don't think you can read you know too much into it. Uh, right now, I think it's all about you know just getting reps and, and putting, putting yourself on film uh, so the coaches can make their evaluations and, uh, you know, kind of sort things out probably at the beginning of, of fall camp. You know, I think this entire spring period is going to be an opportunity for all these guys to, to you know, put everything they can on film and then, you know, the chips, kind of let the chips, you know, land wherever they, they, they will uh, this this fall. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the secondary is by far and large, or by far and away the, the deepest position, in my opinion, uh, as far as pure talent uh, on the team probably. I'll tell you one guy, too, that has kind of had a slower start for me was is Leroy Alexander. I was maybe expecting him just to kind of pick up where he left off at that Gator Bowl when he played really well against Georgia. Um, but you can just tell he does – you know, he, he didn't play any really live defensive reps last year. He was scout team and kind of sat on the sidelines. Um, and I just haven't seen it yet from Leroy. Um, so I'm curious what they do at safety. We know Nathan Gary is going to be one of the starters – I would say right now the other starter, agree, disagree, uh, would be Byerson Cockrell. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that where you guys yeah. would lean to? Yeah, I think for sure in the base. And when he when Cockrell goes up to play the nickel, uh, it's funny because it's, it's hard to know just because of the, the way the teams are broken up. But uh, keep an eye on Aaron Williams. Yep. Uh, he was working as the other safety in the in the top uh, nickel package uh, when the, when we saw the red team play last. And uh, he, he was a guy that Mark Banker pointed out uh, specifically talking about uh, for an early enrollee freshman to, to have the the amount of reps and to be able to pick things up the way he has has been extremely impressive. And, you know, to get in this jump uh, by enrolling early in the spring uh, should give him a, a pretty firm ground to stand on uh, come fall camp. 
Yeah, and that, that was exactly the player I was going to mention, you know, as being a, a, a guy on the defense that maybe has, has shown more than Leroy Alexander to this point in time. Uh, you know, and, and coming in, you know, his high school coach told us, he said, he's the smartest football player I've ever been around. He's he's played four years varsity football for me in the high school level, uh, coming out of Atlanta, Georgia. High level, right? Yeah, high level in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a two-time All-State player. Uh, he played multiple positions, and he basically said, uh, Aaron Williams is a coach for me out in the field. He he knows what everybody's supposed to do at all uh, times, and and he's going to be that guy when he comes to Nebraska. And so far, that's what it looks like he's done. I still think Daniel Davey, when healthy, it's going to be pretty hard to keep him off the I agree. field. I agree. Um, you just I mean, just looking at him at practice on the sidelines. Physically, man, he, he's as impressive he's as the guy. Probably the most athletic yeah. guy out of that entire group. And he, One of the tops. Yeah, and he fits exactly the mold of the cornerbacks that this defensive staff wants. Long, lean, and extremely athletic. He's just battled so many injuries, just like Charles Jackson, just like Jamal Turner has. There's a group of guys on this team, Ryan Reeves, Zach Stirrup, they just can't stay healthy, and I think Davey has been in that category, and I think that's how it always is. If you're a guy that gets hurt, you just keep getting hurt, and hopefully Daniel can shake that uh, going forward. You're listening to the HOL podcast here. Uh, make sure you, you check out HuskerOnline.com. We have a special going on right now from now until April 11th. If you sign up, you can actually access HuskerOnline.com for free until July 31st. Um, before the start of fall camp uh, by using the promo and caps Huskers Spring, Huskers Spring. Uh, so make sure you get on Husker online and, and take advantage of the special promo we're running here. It's really about as good of a promo as we're ever going to run. So a uh, perfect time to get on and check out the site if you are not a member and especially get on that Red Sea Scrolls message board, the largest online community of Husker fans. Now let's, let's move over now to the defensive line. When, when you talk about this group on the defensive line, I think we know that starting four is pretty established, uh, but we're starting to see some other names emerge and you heard in the open here before the segment, Mark Banker talking about Freedom Akamal. I can never do it, Nate. Akin Muladun. See, <laughs> I've said it about five different times, <laughs> and I'm not even sure that was. I've never said it like that once. I usually say Akamundum. No, nope. no, not even close. <laughs> I'm not even Akeen close. Muladun. <laughs> Muladun. I'm going to stick with freedom. Yeah, I, freedom. I sound like Chris Fowler trying to say in Dominican. Remember when yeah. Chris Fowler would be like, Nate, that Dominican. Mr. Sue. Mr. Yeah. Sue. So freedom, we're going to have to learn that name, though, I think. When you look at what freedom has done, you can tell the staff is very intrigued. Yeah, and it, it's funny because with uh, – uh, the the way that he's progressed, he's was getting some some reps with that first team defense, and uh, we've we've said it all spring that physically he he looks the part. I mean, as far as the eyeball test goes, he looks like a legitimate Division One defensive end, and uh, the transition of going from offense to defense is going to be the key question for him because uh, mentally, if he can put it all together, he has every single physical attribute you could possibly want in a defensive end. And I thought defensive end Nate was where he always should have been, and I I don't quite get why the previous staff never thought that. I just didn't see it as a tight end. His high school film was average at tight end. I know other staffs like Michigan State and Illinois uh, were very interested in him as a defensive end. And Missouri even. And, uh, you know, his high school coach said that he said freedom is basically a clone of Alden Smith. 
uh, when he was coming out of high school. They have similar measurables. Uh, both played both ways in, in high school, but he said on the next level, I think that, that freedom is a defensive end. And for whatever reason, Nebraska recruited him as a tight end, wanted him as a tight end, thought that he would be you know uh, a valuable asset in, in, the, in the passing game, but also as a blocker. Um, but you know, we've seen the transition. He's obviously athletically gifted. Like Robin said, it's all about right now. I think it's all about the mental aspect. You know, he's got great bloodlines. His, his cousin just won the indoor, you know, uh, 60 meters, uh, hurdles, hurdles for the NCAA. So, um, I mean, obviously is extremely gifted, has tremendous bloodlines. Now it's just all about putting it together. And and I think he's really going to be a guy that continues to emerge. I'll throw one other name out here that it's kind of he's almost this year's Jack Gangwish as far as the walk-ons go in the D-line, Ross Dezuris. And he's somebody that, you know, we were familiar with. I, I got to know Ross during our in-state tour, went out to Plattsmouth. He's the son of Bob Dezuris, the head coach at Plattsmouth, formerly the head coach of Midland Lutheran College's football team. Um, but, you know, I think he is a guy that has impressed them. Um, he's always been athletic and fast. He, he, you know, he, he was on the 4 by one team in high school. He could run very well. Um, it's just a matter of getting that chance. And with the numbers at defensive end and Ross's football IQ, I think that's what's really helped him where he could potentially be the third defensive end right now. And he got a lot of reps last year, too, towards the end of the season when you know the defensive end depth really started to become an issue. Uh, so he's been getting reps for, for quite a while now. And you know you give someone that many opportunities, uh, eventually you know he's got a chance to really take hold of it. And uh, we've seen that so far. And um, you know I think that he's got a really good opportunity to get in that rotation and you know be you know someone that can really play a lot this year. Yeah, he sees the opportunity and passed up guys like AJ Natter and and some other guys like that, you know, and um, and that's encouraging to see. That's why you have a walk-on program is to to help you know mitigate the losses of of you know you guys not potentially working out. Quoting Barry Alvarez, they are the erasers for yeah, your mistakes, and exactly. and that's exactly what guys like Brandon Riley and Jack Gangwish and Sam Foltz and uh, players like that mean uh, to this program, and and you know. Delving into that category, it was interesting. I was talking to Bruce Reed, the special teams coordinator, about the walk-ons. And he said, I'll be honest, when I first got to Nebraska, I wasn't too excited about having 120 players in spring ball because we're used to only having 70 at Oregon State. And he he said, I didn't know what I was going to do with these guys. I didn't think they were going to be a help at all. And I'm learning really fast that a lot of these walk-on players are going to be on my special teams units. And uh, we have what we call the the show squads, which are the scout teams. And he goes, our, our scout team special team units um, are giving us a look that I'm not used to getting. And it's amazing how hard these walk-on players go and what it means to them. And I, I think that's what Mike Riley and his staff, they're not going to understand that until they experience that. And I think they're learning that pretty quickly here in spring ball. It's kind of a perfect combination because you, for the first time ever, have a truly devoted special teams coach who's going to evaluate, you know, those units more so than you know Nebraska ever has before. Uh, and then you throw that in with uh, a group of underrated athletes with as much drive and passion as you could possibly want to to work with. And the Nebraska special teams unit has a chance to be really, really good because not only uh, are they going to spend more attention than ever on you know per, you know perfecting those aspects, but they have have uh, a talent pool of guys that uh, are going to be at Bruce Reed's disposal uh, that could really uh, shape this into a pretty productive uh, special teams unit. A few names that he mentioned as walk-ons that will be on special teams that he likes already. No surprise, Luke McNitt. Um, And he said, we didn't know who he was. He was on scout team. We moved him right over the next day. Um, Jordan Nelson, who's been a special teams guy as it is, um, 
Lane Hovey. Um, McKay, um, he's a linebacker, a uh, walk-on linebacker. Uh, Christian Bailey, a walk-on wide receiver out of California. Both McKay and Bailey are California kids, I believe, on the Garrett roster. Garrett McKay, by the way. Garrett McKay. I kept saying Grant McKay. Um, but, you know, a number of these walk-on guys have been impressive, and uh, they're going to play a role on special teams, and that's not a shocker. We've all been around Nebraska for a long time, and that's what's comprised the kickoff and the punt teams in most cases. And Reed's like, I would have loved to have had Josh Banderas on my teams with me right now, but we can't do it. He's too valuable for the defense. <laughs> Probably a bad idea. Yeah, when you've got four linebackers on scholarship. <laughs> he said, you know, I would love to have 52, but I look at our linebacker situation, and he's our only healthy one. And I said, ah, I'm just not even going to try for that one. Yeah. But speaking of, before we wrap it up, linebackers, um, you know, not, not a lot of movement um, yeah, as far as what we've seen. But I've been impressed with Dedrick Young. Oh, yeah. Um, I think just physically off the huff, um, his lower body and upper body, he looks the part. He's going to play, guys. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he, he came in, you know, college ready, you know, a legit 230-pound high school senior that, uh, that you know, put up – holds all-time, you know, weightlifting records at his high school, um, you know, and, and uh, is, is a smart kid. We've seen him, you know, uh, make plays out there, seemingly, you know, fit in right away and, and not act like a freshman. And uh, so, yeah, he's going to play a lot. And, and I think a guy like Luke Gifford has kind of shown some flashes here in the last week or so uh, too. So uh, he might be a, a player that gives you some, some more depth there too. One more on Young. Uh, on Wednesday's practice, he made a play where – I said, wow, this kid is legit. It was a reverse um, to Kevin Gladney, and he was coming around the end, and uh, Young diagnosed it perfectly, blasted through the line, and threw uh, Gladney down for about an eight-yard loss. And I, there was a time, when, uh, I think it was Kevin Williams from the sideline was watching, he said, he said, he's just a freshman now. <laughs> so he's catching the eye not only of his coaches but of his teammates as well, and he is earning respect by the day. I'll throw one more walk on in there. Chris Weber, he was another linebacker that they mentioned is going to play a big role on special teams. Well, that wraps up our, our spring football. Come back here on the program. Uh, we will talk more about basketball. There's been a lot of roster shakeup, a lot of movement. What's going on with Husker basketball? Robin Washett will tell us next. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And more roster turnover here in the Nebraska basketball team as the Huskers lose two players this week. Walter Pitchford announcing that he's not coming back for his senior year. He'll remain at Nebraska to finish school. Uh, but the real big surprise this week was freshman point guard Taryn Smith, who had a really good freshman season for the Huskers, uh, starting some games, playing some big min minutes, making some big shots, announcing he will transfer uh, to be closer back to home. Uh, bring in Robin Washett, our basketball beat writer here from HuskerOnline.com. Robin, what is going on uh, with the roster here at Nebraska? Well, you know, you, you look at the landscape of college basketball, and what's, what's happening at Nebraska is really not all that uncommon. I think the uh, national uh, average is right about, uh, you know, maybe about three players a season. For, for each team to have you know, move on and transfer, and that's just kind of the way things are. So uh, really, you know, depending on what happens with Tram Petaway, Nebraska is still right at that mark, that national average. So it's while it seems like you know the the sky is falling, you know, on Nebraska basketball and Pinnacle Bank Arena is crumbling. It's not the case. Uh, uh, Walter Pitchford, I think, if you really watched how kind of last season played out. He, uh, you could sense that you know things just weren't quite right with him, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, he was just never able. To
able to really consistently turn it on. And it was really unfortunate because when he was playing, you know, high level basketball was when Nebraska was at its best, and uh, they had some of their best wins when when he was on his game. And uh, so, but you could see that maybe I don't, I just don't think his heart was really in it. And I think that kind of shows with the way that he's just, you know, foregoing his final season of eligibility just to be a student. You know, I think that he kind of had just worn out of the grind of being a, a Division One college basketball player and uh, has other uh, aspirations professionally and with with his academic career. And uh, I think you can do nothing but uh, wish the best for him. But uh, as far as Terrence Smith, like you mentioned, I think that caught a lot of people off guard uh, just because he was maybe one of the few promising aspects of last season with was his development and uh, I think he played in about 31 games and uh, including a handful of starts but uh, it just sounds like he and his family talked it over especially you know over the past month and over spring break when he was back home in New Jersey and uh, they decided that there's maybe better opportunities elsewhere I think um, the fact that they, Nebraska has um, you know a prospect like Glenn Watson coming in that will immediately push not only for playing time but for a starting job uh, that may have had something to to do with it. Uh, I know a lot of people thought maybe being homesick was was an issue, but uh, I think Tim Miles kind of shot that notion down. So I, I think it was just a matter of Taryn maybe never quite felt at home at Nebraska and decided that, you know, maybe somewhere, whether it's on the East Coast or somewhere else, would, would not only provide a better opportunity for him to grow as a player, but for him just to kind of feel more more comfortable. And you got the sense in the statement from Tim Miles, and usually it's not like this, but you could tell he was upset. I mean, he did, he did not beat around the bush in the statement. Well, yeah, and that goes without saying. I mean, uh, anybody that watched Nebraska play, I mean, Terrence Smith was maybe the third best player on the team by the end of the year. And uh, anytime you lose a player of that caliber, it's, it's going to be a blow. But uh, here, the issue is Nebraska, as good as these guys are on paper and in the, the positions of needs in which they play, obviously post and point guard, uh, if you don't have guys that are completely 100% bought in to what you're doing and what you're trying to build, uh, I think you could argue you might be better off without him. Uh, and there's plenty of other options that Nebraska can fill those two scholarships with uh, from the transfer market and uh, a guy like Mike Edwards, who's uh, a sleeper in the 2015 class that uh, has Nebraska in its top five. And so there, there are I don't think these are going to be as significant of blows as you know some people initially may have made it out to be. I mean, obviously, you never want to see anybody leave, but uh, again, in, in today's college basketball, it's certainly not uncommon, and I think Nebraska will have uh, options uh, to, to potentially make this uh, a pretty smooth transition. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast here, and uh, before we move on here to more basketball topics, a reminder to take advantage of our special promo we're offering right now on HuskerOnline.com. You can sign up now through April 11th by using the promo code HuskerSpring in caps lock. And you can access our site for free until July 31st, right before the start of fall camp. And it's really as good of an offer as we're ever going to offer. In fact, probably the best one we've had since I've been around the site. So I encourage you to take advantage of that on HuskerOnline.com. Robin, it leads me to, to my next question. How important is this recruiting class now for Tim Miles as far as establishing the program that he wants to build at Nebraska? Yeah, it was already, you could argue, the, the biggest of his time here. Uh, but that 
goes uh, even more so uh, with you know having to, to really piece together these last two spots. Uh, uh, you know, I think you look at the, the 15 and 16 classes; those are going to be the defining groups that really kind of d- dictate how successful Tim Miles is at Nebraska. Um, the, the good news is the four guys that they have coming in, plus Andrew White, uh, are should be pretty good, and I think all are going to play you know significant minutes, if not start next season. So uh, it's just going to be a completely different looking team, especially if Tran Petaway moves on. I mean, it's going to have a totally different look. And, you know, with a, a team that won 13 games last year, uh, that, that's not a bad thing. What is, What is your feeling on Petaway now with the latest news of Smith? And obviously Pitchford's not a big blow for the Petaway situation, but could it be a situation now where maybe they – you know, he just says, I'll come back, or is, is it still, are you leaning that he goes? Yeah, I still think that there are other factors besides what's happening at Nebraska that are going to, you know, really impact his decision. Uh, I think that the whole issue with his family is still uh, priority number one, and then, you know, the number one factor for him. Um, you know, he had, I think, this past week when he was able to get a chance to, to go back home and uh, really talk things over with his family uh, would probably hopefully give him some clarity on what he wants to do. Uh, and then, you know, Tim Miles was going to hold individual player meetings earlier this week uh, and ended up putting those off, you know, outside of, you know, when his hand was forced with Pitchford and Terrence Smith. Uh, but it's, it's going to be after the final four because he's out in uh, he's coaching in an all-star game and he's going to be in Indianapolis for the final four and so when he gets back uh, we should know by about probably Monday or Tuesday what Tramp Petaway is going to do and um, you know I think he has a lot of incentive and we've, we've talked about that at length uh, here that you know he could go down as you know one of the most productive players in Nebraska basketball history if he were to come back for a senior season and and have the success that he's had his first two years but uh, I think that you know there's still a lot of other issues in play here and with depends on kind of what he and his family think is the best route for him and his eventual uh, professional basketball goals. I'll just say it. He's not going to the NBA. So if he makes this decision, he's going to be playing in the D League or overseas. So he's got to weigh that in his mind, in my opinion. Would you want to be playing in a gym in Des Moines, Iowa, in the D League or in some foreign league in a country uh, way far away from your family? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to come back to Nebraska um, for one more year and play for free for play for free and be a legend I mean, yeah so I mean like I said there's a whole bunch of different things that go into this it's not just okay now I have a chance to score more points and come back and improve my draft stock like that that's that's part of it but there's a lot of different things that come into play here and again I've said this before one of his biggest life goals was to have his mom see him play professional basketball and you know ideally that's NBA uh, but you know whatever route that is you know given her uh, condition with a, another bout of cancer you just got to wonder if this is you know he thinks that this is uh you know the best uh window of opportunity he has to do that would you rather though have your mother see you play in a gym in turkey in front of six thousand people or in lincoln for one more year in front of fifteen thousand? if you're making a few hundred thousand dollars a year playing you know professional you know look at lance jeter he's doing quite well for himself over there you know brandon you bell did it jason Jeruso did it and uh, tax-free money yeah and, and so obviously that kind of defeats the whole purpose of, you know, wanting to not be so far away from your mom, but at the same time, you're also providing your family with some pretty significant income uh, during a pretty, uh, what I'm assuming costly uh, battle with cancer. 
Now, where does Nebraska go, Robin, uh, as far as scholarships here before we wrap things up? Now two more spots open, potentially three um, going forward. Do they fill all these spots with transfers, or what? Are the, what's the plan right now? Yeah, we. we and I mentioned Mike Edwards earlier. Uh, as I said, he has Nebraska in his top five, uh, along with uh, Kansas State, SMU, uh, Georgia, where he took an unofficial visit last weekend, and uh, Marquette. Uh, he said those are his top five right now. And you know, a lot of people think that if Michigan were to offer, they would immediately jump towards the top of his list. But uh, the fact that they haven't offered yet kind of shows that you know maybe he's not quite as high on their priority list but uh, Nebraska's all in on this guy in fact as, as soon as the Walter Pitchford news broke they called or Tim Miles called uh, Edwards and told him hey this spot is officially open and it's reserved for you so they've made no secret that he is you know number one guy on their board right now and so uh, he realizes that and uh, definitely is uh, probably in the process of trying to set up an official visit uh, to Lincoln at some point, and we'll see how that plans out. But uh, I think the the other spot or spots are probably going to be filled in the transfer route. And we've already seen some names surface as, you know, potential targets. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Tyler Harris uh, forward from Providence. He's a senior uh, that, you know, averaged decent numbers, you know, actually kind of similar to the numbers Walter Pitchford averaged last year. But uh, he's a guy that uh, po- posted uh, his list of top 10 schools, and Nebraska was one of those. So, you know, Nebraska's in the top 10 for him and um, you know Tim Miles has also said publicly that they're looking to try and get involved with uh, Jonathan Williams a third from Missouri he was the Tigers leading scorer last year that uh, is looking for a fresh start so uh, some interesting names uh, on the horizon and you know again the the transfer list in division one basketball right now is already up to about 250 names and that's only that's probably going to double by the time thing all is said and done so a lot of talent for Nebraska to potentially look at and evaluate and uh, so like I said there will be no shortage of options uh, for Tim Miles to choose from I mean, to steal a baseball term, it's, it's a officially the hot stove season in yes, college it is. basketball yes, it is. with transfers, roster attrition, late scholarship offers. Make sure you stay on HuskerOnline.com and follow Robin Washett to get the latest. When we come back on the show, we'll wrap things up. Uh, we'll talk some more baseball with Dan Hoppen, and obviously we'll close our show in segment number five with recruiting. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And back here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast, we're shifting over to the red-hot Nebraska baseball team. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, our HuskerOnline.com baseball beat writer, Dan. And and this team just just keeps winning. And as we watch this thing unfold, first of all, we'll talk about this past weekend against Texas. You, you, You look at just what that series means, getting a sweep over a team that could potentially win the Big 12, a team that was ranked as high as 12, I believe, in one of the polls. Uh, to come into Lincoln and sweep them in, in an Augie Garrido style with pitching and defense, it tells you this team is, is no joke. Nebraska, is they've got a shot this year, Dan, to have a pretty special season. Oh, I absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, it's it's a huge series, you know, for the win total, for the RPI, um, you know, to get national attention, all, all that stuff. But I think just as importantly, it's huge for Nebraska's confidence because this is a team that under Darren Nursad has had – a lot of talent. They've had, um, you know, the, these little pockets of success where they've been able to do some special things, but they've, they've never had a moment like this under Darren, where you they really came out and made a national statement against a college blue blood, where they were able to go out and, you know, not come close, not come within, you know, one or two pitches of getting it done. They actually got it done, and they really kind of dominated, 
you know, one of the nation's potentially better teams for three straight games. I think that's just a huge mental hurdle that they got over. That's going to do nothing but help. And you add that with a split against Cal State Fullerton, another blue blood. And I think a lot of people thought if Nebraska could go three and two in the week, that would be a successful week against those two programs. They go four and one. Um, that's one of the best weeks we've seen in Nebraska baseball, maybe since the Alex Gordon years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, Fullerton, they're down a little bit this year. They're not quite what they have been. But you're still talking about, you know, a power program that, uh, you know. They recruit at an elite level. Yes, their name has a lot of cachet. They're one of the top programs on the West Coast. And, yeah, Nebraska came out and played great against them. Uh, You know, if you just take out a couple rough innings from a true freshman starter on that Wednesday, I think Nebraska has a chance to, you know, potentially go 5-0 and last week. And the game, it's changed so much. I mean, when you go look at those early 2000 teams, the game of college baseball was built around offense. As we know now, Dan, it's, it's built around pitching and defense. And I think when you look at the great Nebraska baseball teams, you can name their Friday, Saturday rotation starters, even their Sunday guys on a lot of those teams. And I think when you look at this team with Sinclair and Kubat and, and the other arms they have, um, these are household names, which is a good thing. And it tells you Nebraska is set up to play in a regional when they have two or three all-conference caliber arms right now. See, that that's the thing that to me is what makes this team so promising is that's how you get yourself up set up well in a regional if you have you know three or four pitchers that you can feel confident throwing out there on any given day that they can go get the job done for you Nebraska has that right now um they've got a 2.36 team ERA this season which is good for 10th in the nation at the moment I mean they've been they've been incredible and you even look at you know that that performance they had against Creighton uh on Tuesday night Garrett King a true freshman comes out and throws eight innings gives up just two hits no walks you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that matters. That's a guy who in a regional or, you know, even potentially a super regional is going to have to have a role and he's going to have to be able to help. And the fact that Nebraska has that pitching depth and they're able to roll guys out like that now, that's just a huge advantage. Yeah, how do they find a guy like Garrett King? You get a kid from Southern California. He's flying over a lot of schools to come to Nebraska. Is that a Ted Silva find with just some of his connections being a SoCal guy? I mean, how do they get that guy to Nebraska? Definitely Ted Silva was a big part of that. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, he is a California guy. He's got a lot of connections out there. Um, but I, I think so much of it is, you know, just this coaching staff, they know how to recruit. And Darren Erstad, he absolutely, like, kids know who he is. He's got a lot of cachet um, just based off what he was able to do as a major league player. When I talk to um, commits after they recruit, they all talk about that. They're like, you know, I get a chance to go to school for four years and learn from, you know, one of the best college baseball players that I can remember. You know, that's that's huge for them. So that's something that I think certainly played into this. And you're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking Nebraska baseball. The Huskers red hot. They win 14 of their 15 home games here, Dan, or was it 15 of 16 home games here on the homestand? 15 of 16. Which is incredible, but I think what's even been more incredible, Dan, are the the number of fans. Uh, They tweeted out last night on Huskers.com, 66,000 fans have attended these 16 games, which averages over 4,000 per game, and uh, the way they've been playing, I think Husker fans appreciate a winner. The weather's been great, but it's been something special. You just don't see attendance numbers like we've seen uh, early on in March uh, anywhere in college baseball. Oh, that that Creighton um, crowd on Tuesday night was incredible. Uh, 7,300 people. 
I mean, everything just set up perfectly. It's a 6.30 game, so people could, you know, get off work and get down there. There's a rivalry between Nebraska and Creighton. The weather was absolutely gorgeous, and that's played a huge factor into this, that this has been a pretty nice march. But, you know, it, it was it's crazy to see the berms just packed for March games. I, you know, this is, this is a city that and a state that will support a winner. I think they've shown that, you know, in, in any sport, whether it's football, basketball, you know, women's basketball, volleyball, baseball, volleyball, absolutely. And and they made a difference last night. I, I went over and I talked to um, the Creighton coach, Ed Service, and he was like, you know, we've been coming down here for, you know, the last couple of years, there was kind of a different feeling. There just wasn't that same electricity in the crowd, you know, that there was maybe in the mid-2000s. Well, that's back. And he admitted that over the first couple innings, his guys were a little uh, a little starstruck. He said that they got sped up out in the field, and that, that contributed to a couple errors that got Nebraska some runs. So the fans, you know, not only coming out and just being very impressive in terms of their numbers, but they made a difference. They'll play two more times at TD Ameritrade Park, once in April and I believe once in May. And usually that second May game is is the one that could be a really big crowd. Back in the heydays of Nebraska Creighton, when they played at Rosenblatt, they'd get 20000 for that game, um, you know, pretty routinely two or three times. It wouldn't surprise me if you saw ten to 15000 at one of those games in Omaha if the Huskers keep winning and obviously the weather plays a factor. Mm-hmm. And if Creighton continues to do do well too I mean you know Creighton isn't probably you know an upper echelon team but they they've had a successful start to the season so far um that lost to Nebraska on Tuesday notwithstanding they they had been pretty hot lately so yeah anytime those two teams are good or even if just one of them is good you're going to get some pretty solid crowds out for those games Nebraska now Dan they move into Big Ten conference play again after a weekend off uh, playing Texas uh, but they're not going to waste any time they've they swept Michigan in their first weekend. This weekend, though, they go to the on the road. They play Maryland, who was a super regional team that was very close to getting into Omaha a year ago. A lot of projections had Maryland 1, Nebraska 2, almost a 1A, 1B type of scenario. When you look at this series coming up this weekend at Maryland, first of all, what do you know about the Terrapins, and what does this series mean maybe for the, the whole Big Ten? Well, I think Maryland is – you know, along with Nebraska, as talented as any team in the Big Ten. Um, and I think they're they're a little mad right now. They just lost a series to Michigan, who you mentioned Nebraska swept. And, uh, you know, Michigan's got some talent, but they're not, they're not great. They're probably, you know, maybe five or six in the Big Ten, somewhere in there. So I think Maryland is – they're a little mad right now. They're upset with their performance last weekend. They're going to, you know, be looking to come out and rebound from that. Um, you know, obviously the fact that you're traveling half the way across the country to play there – makes things more difficult as well but you know I think like we talked about Nebraska's confidence has never been higher I think that's going to help them as far as you know the long-term impact in the Big Ten this is going to be huge because if these two teams are in fact jockeying um, you know for position at the end of the year to be able to have that tiebreaker and have two or three wins over you know the other team that could end up deciding who who maybe is the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament. And that is a big deal when you're talking about the one plays the 4-5 versus the 2-3. And looking at the Big Ten right now, the 2-3 are going to be pretty good teams in Mm -hmm. the Big Ten right now when you look at those standings. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that 2-3 right now would probably be, you know, some combination of Maryland, Nebraska, Illinois, maybe maybe Indiana, although they just got swept by Iowa. Iowa. Who who even knows? Maybe, hey. maybe Iowa's good. We we don't know for sure. Uh, 
they, they certainly have gotten off to a very good start. So, you know, yeah, there's a we've kind of talked in previous weeks about how the Big Ten is up this year, and, and I think there's a lot to that. It, it's not, you know, going to be as easy just to cruise through that Big Ten tournament. The higher seed you can get, the more that helps you. And I'll be curious, Dan, how Maryland adjusts into, into the Big Ten. I, I know when Nebraska came in for baseball – there was this mindset that they were just going to come in as the Big 12 team and and just blow the doors off this league. And, and as we know, the last three years, that did not happen. And Maryland, big, bad ACC team, ACC fancies itself as a baseball league. They thought they'd probably come in here and sweep Michigan because Nebraska did, and, and they didn't. So it will be interesting to see how they adjust because I think this league you can't look at RPIs and things because a lot of that to me is stemmed off schedule if the Big Ten teams would play better midweek games and non-conference games the RPI would be a lot better and Nebraska's proving that right now so I think this Big Ten is a better league than people want to give it credit for and hopefully Maryland's learning that here in a hurry Mm -hmm. I I think they definitely are I think that adding Maryland was a very good addition but you know, you mentioned it. I think some big teams, Big Ten teams, are starting to realize that you have to schedule more difficult teams. That Indiana definitely went out and did that um, this offseason. Even though they were losing some key pieces, they lost uh, their coach Tracy Smith. They went out and scheduled very aggressively, and they were they were ranked up to number 19 before they got swept by Iowa. So that's obviously going to drop them a little bit. But yeah, the Big Ten. You know, it's it's on the rise. It's uh, it's not one of those upper echelon conferences yet, but it's working its way up there. Well, Dan, it should be a great weekend for baseball. Looking forward to following your updates here on HuskerOnline.com. Yeah, my pleasure. We come back on the show. We'll wrap things up with Nate Klaus as we talk more Husker recruiting. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, closing things off here as we do each podcast with recruiting talk. And we are edging closer and closer, Nate, to that red-white spring game on April 11th. It's looking like it could be a huge weekend as far as visitors go. Any more movement here over the last few days as uh, we start to shape that list of visitors we'll be tracking down on spring game weekend? Yeah, we've had, been able to add a couple new uh, names to the list, uh, most namely uh, a guy like Jack Stoll, who's a tight end out of uh, Aurora, Colorado, uh, Regis Jesuit High School. Um, he'll be coming in uh, for a visit recently. Has not earned an offer from Nebraska yet, but has been uh, been gaining more and more attention lately. Um, you know, defensive end Hayden Johnson out of uh, out of Missouri, out of the Columbia, Missouri area, uh, will be coming up too. And, um, you know, we've really seen, you know, a, a pretty solid mixture of, of national type recruits as well as, you know, uh, kids from the, from the, you know, the region, you know, kind of that 500 mile radius or whatever you want to call it, um, area, you know, uh, uh, either have interest in coming to the spring game or definitely tell us, yes, we are, we are for sure coming. And uh, you've been around enough of these and, and really all of them, as far as the recruiting spectacle of what the spring game has become. And we'll talk more about that next week, but you go back to that very first Bill Callahan spring game in 2004. Since 04, these spring games have been um, a home game as far as bringing recruits in, and uh, it's going to be no different with Mike Riley. It looks like weather should not be a factor this year on the early outlooks, but um, it, it's such a huge opportunity to get these guys here uh, because a lot of these guys with early offers, they want to wrap it up early 
before the start of the season. And you, you're not even going to get that September, October home game visit with a lot of these kids. So this is your chance. Yeah, this is your chance to, to get them on campus, give them, you know, a, a taste of what it's like, you know, to, to go to a, a home game in Memorial Stadium. Um, you know, and, and it's a chance to kind of brag about yourself and say, hey, look, you know, how many other schools out there have, you know, 60, 70,000 people to, to their, you know, the, to their spring game. And and it's a chance for those recruits to, to be around your current commits. A lot of the the signees that just signed in the in the previous class come back, so uh, it's just a great atmosphere for for these prospects to be on campus. You know, uh, learn what Nebraska is about. You know, be in that atmosphere and have a chance to to talk with all the other recruits that just got done going through the process or who have already committed to to Nebraska. And, uh, so it's important to get them on campus. But they've also done a great job of getting guys on campus. You know, throughout the spring for practices and whatnot too. So uh, they've really tried to capitalize. You know, on this entire you know uh, spring practice and everything leading up to the spring game. Now we, we talked about a few weeks back on offers. I think we a couple weeks ago was Nebraska up to about 140. Uh, where, where are they at now? If you had a guess, I mean, how many more since that 140 number have they? Yeah, gone things kind of slowed down over the over the break. Um, you know, when the coaches went back home or or were out of the office, uh, there were a handful of offers that went out, but nowhere near the pace that we had seen. Uh, they're currently sitting right up right shortly over the 150 mark right now. So things have kind of slowed down a little bit. I do anticipate you know uh, you know that to pick up here shortly, and you know just over in the the past couple of days they have offered a wide receiver. Uh, Roderick uh, uh, Bryan out of uh, out of uh, St. Louis. Uh, they've offered Brendan Scales, uh, who's, an, who's a tight end out of the St. Louis, Missouri area. Uh, so they're they're still you know guys that are they're gaining offers, uh, and I think that will continue to to pick up leading up through the to the spring game, and and really probably pick up once that evaluation period starts on April fifteenth. And we've talked about this, Nate, but St. Louis is just an area that that is untapped. Uh, it's not really marked for one school, Missouri. Missouri is the advantage um, as being only 100 miles away. But, um, you know, you've got Kenny Wilhite behind the scenes. He's from St. Louis. He coached college ball in Missouri. I think he's made the staff aware of St. Louis. And Dan, uh, Danny Langstorff will handle St. Louis and Kansas City, Missouri. Bruce Reed will handle the Kansas City, Kansas side, the Juco's in Wichita. Uh, but you, you get the sense that they're going to keep going into St. Louis a little bit more here. Absolutely. And I think they need to. You know, uh, like you said, I think – uh, St. Louis and Kansas City, Missouri, um, and Kansas City, Kansas, but both those uh, metro areas are are key for Nebraska, and, and uh, you know there's not one team that definitely has a uh, a foothold in that, that Missouri would be the one. Yeah, Missouri, yeah, and they should, and they, yeah, exactly, and they should. But I think that you can still a program like Nebraska can still go into either Kansas City or or St. Louis and pull you know uh, some of the top talent out of there if you do it the right way, and um, you know. It's not like Missouri has a fence around either one of those, you know, metro areas. So uh, they can go in there, and I think that they need to. You know, that's kind of what. Uh, if, I mean, if you look back, that's kind of what the program has kind of been built on is is kids from Nebraska and then kids from this this region, and and uh, and I think that's what you know this staff's trying to get back to. And it's important. I think a lot of those guys in the St. Louis area or, or that 500 mile radius, they're not as evaluated as some of the kids in Texas and Florida and California. And uh, I think that's a big part of it. You know, right now, maybe those guys don't have as many offers. Um, they don't have as many teams looking at them. People from the recruiting services haven't really looked at them as far as evaluation goes. So you can find 
a Malik Collins. You can find a Vincent Valentine from the St. Louis area, guys like that um, from Kansas City um, that maybe right now aren't on the radar, but come February they are going to be on the radar. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. You know, there's there's a ton of players that that kind of fit that mold. You know, especially right now heading you know before the spring evaluation period begins. Uh, um, you know, you look at uh, there's a, a Wisconsin signed. Uh, actually, I think he flipped to Missouri at the end, but uh, there was a defensive end out of St. Louis, out of Ladue High School in St. Louis that that Wisconsin got on extremely early. Um, you know, and it was six five, two hundred thirty pounds guy last year and uh you know hadn't had it not been for the coaching change you probably would have ended up going to uh uh to missouri or to wisconsin but ended up signing with missouri but uh yeah there's there's countless amounts of players like that uh in the in the areas you're listening to the huskeronline.com podcast we're talking recruiting but just a reminder to get on hol to take advantage of the special we're offering right now until april 11th you can get husker online for free until july 31st by entering the code husker spring and caps locked uh, when you sign up we've already had a lot of people take advantage of it it's as good of an offer as we're going to offer out there uh, so make sure you get on husker online and take advantage of uh, the special promo we're offering here through april 11th the day of the red white game and um, nate as far as uh visitors go there were a few visitors in lincoln this past weekend um i know you you had a chance to talk to a, a lot of them from georgia and some of these areas that came down uh what were your thoughts on just some of the movement that happened over this past weekend yeah nebraska hosted three players uh, two of which were from uh, same high school in georgia uh zeb noland is the quarterback from oconee county uh in georgia that was on campus and his teammate uh, julio laguins um, is a linebacker from the same high school that Nebraska has offered. Uh, and both those guys, you know, two of the most glowing interviews that, I, that I've ever had, really. Um, you know, both those guys just raved about their visits. And, uh, you know, and they, and they said that, um, especially Zeb Nolan, you know, he told me, he said, uh, Nebraska is a place where every recruit that has interest from Nebraska or has an offer from Nebraska needs to make sure they, that they get to they get out there and visit the place because once you go out there your your mind is completely opened uh, to, to what it's all about because you know all these kids tell us you know um, you know it was so much more than what I thought it was going to be like because I, I thought it was going to be nothing but cornfields cornfields. and you know and and you know pastures you know I think they have this they have this picture in their mind where it's cornfields leading right up to the stadium and, and cows grazing and and it's nothing like that and uh, so they get here they see how incredible the facilities were or they that they are and, and they see the the city of Lincoln and and uh, you know just the college town feel and, and all these recruits really like that and um, you know and, and Zeb Nolan said I'm, I'm going back home and I'm telling everybody I know that they need to go out and check out Nebraska now he doesn't have an offer from the Huskers but uh, and I think he's kind of lobbying for one a little bit you know saying that that he's going to try and get you know all these highly rated recruits and that's that kind of dicey because you don't know if that's going to fall through or yeah. not or yeah you certainly don't want to offer a kid uh just because he's a friends offer. yeah just just because he's friends with a handful of highly touted recruits the david harvey aj wallace offer. yeah yeah that <laughs> didn't work out so well uh, but, you know, it definitely doesn't hurt, you know, when you have guys on campus that are friends with, you know, some of the best players in the state of Georgia, and they go home and they tell their friends how, how awesome it was. Now, Jalil Laguins has, has a ton of offers from, you know, Southeastern Conference um, and, you know, schools like uh, NC State and, and uh, you know, uh, Florida State and a handful of other schools. So, um, and he's a guy who said, hey, I'm, I'm – 
keeping my options open going into the fall, and then we're going to see what happens from there. But following his visit to Nebraska, he said that he's definitely coming back for an official visit on October 10th. That's when his bye week is. Uh, he's going to be coming up with his family, and he's another guy who said, "Hey, I, I want to bring you know some of my some of my quote unquote posse with me who uh, who are made up of some of the top recruits in Georgia." So we'll see what happens there. And this is something we'll probably talk about more in the summer. But I think once that cost of attendance stipend comes into play. That's going to help Nebraska in recruiting uh, because these kids that are coming from Georgia and whatnot, it says, hey, here's $3,600 or whatever it's going to be, uh, $300 a month to buy plane tickets and whatnot uh, to cover your expenses for traveling to and from Nebraska. Because that's something I think you have to really fight is uh, not many people can afford those plane tickets to fly back and forth. And that's what Nebraska battles with these types of guys. And they actually talk, they brought that up to them and said that, hey, you're going to be able to, to have money to travel now and have money to to have your family come up and see you for games and um you know and, and they they brought it up they they really hammered it home with uh, with those kids from georgia that hey you know what it was an hour and a half flight direct flight from omaha to atlanta lincoln to atlanta now too yeah we, we have one a day out of lincoln and lincoln to atlanta too and, and they hammered that home said it's an hour and a half if you, you want to drive to to from atlanta to alabama that's you're going to be spending four times that uh amount of time to do that so uh they really hammered that home which is i think was good by the nebraska staff to to really make that a point of emphasis that hey really you're an hour and a half from home you, you look at a map and it might seem daunting but you're you're an hour and a half from home and it's not not that big of a deal and and these guys they bought into that and they really loved everything about it well it should be interesting we'll definitely talk more about recruiting here uh, as we get closer to that red white game uh, on our podcast next week but that signs it off here for another edition of the hol podcast thanks again for joining us this week on huskeronline.com your authority on nebraska athletics 